Thank you, Catherine and Pam. And hello, everyone. Just to reassure you, no balloons will be harmed in the making of this talk. Unlike in my last children's talk, instead, we'll start by having a think about our theme of getting to know Jesus more so we can fully rely on him. Then we'll unpack our Bible passage and explore what it tells us about the Messiah's character and the conditions his reign brings about. Then finally, we'll talk through what difference all this makes to our daily lives and how we live them in the run up to Christmas and beyond, particularly focusing on spending time with Jesus and knowing him better. So let's pray now and focus our minds on him. Lord Jesus, our King, meet us, draw us in, may your words be spoken, be heard and awaken, a hunger and thirst for you. Amen. One afternoon in early October, the girls and I decided to go for a walk. A bit of fresh air would do us good and there was a walk up over the hill near our house we hadn't tried yet. Now, if I was walking by myself, I'd grab my shoes and my coat, pick up my keys and head out the door. But I was walking with Millie and Mima, so homework had to be finished, a couple of changes of outfits inexplicably happened, a bag full of toys and books was packed, negotiations took place to leave the bag behind, well over an hour after we decided to go for our walk, we finally made it out the door. And the walk was lovely. A bit chilly, the path a bit muddy and slippy, but the views were beautiful and the company was very fun. But then something happened which put a bit of a dampener on our lovely walk. Because we'd taken so long to get ready, the afternoon had turned into early evening. And as we walked up the hill, the beautiful views got harder and harder to see. Pretty soon, it was too dark to see the view at all. And then it was too dark to see the path. And finally, it was too dark to see our feet. It was all starting to feel a little bit scary, stood on an unfamiliar and slippery path in the dark. But fortunately, we had a teenager in our group, so there was a mobile phone and we could use the torch. Ah, the relief when that light first came on. Suddenly we could see in the darkness because the light showed us the path. And you're probably thinking, ah, light shining in the darkness, I see what you've done there. But actually, there's more to this story than meets the eye because the torch on Millie's phone is a little bit rubbish. And the battery on Millie's phone was running low. So we could just about see the path in front of us, but no further than that. And we took every step knowing that the battery might die and we'd be plunged back into darkness. What we knew about the phone taught us not to rely on it. As it turned out, we did get back down the hill, cold and feeling a bit wibbly, but largely unscathed. In fact, while we were at the top of the hill in darkness, looking down on the lights of Ilminster, we came up with a plan to do the same walk again late on bonfire night. 
with Neil too, so we could all watch for any fireworks. This time, though, we were prepared for the darkness. We took Millie's properly decent torch, which had new batteries and a powerful beam. It lit up the path ahead and the surrounding area beautifully, and we all knew we could trust it to light the way and not leave us standing in the dark, so we could all enjoy the walk with confidence. We knew the torch's capabilities, power and durability, so we could fully rely on it to be our light in the darkness. And it's the same in our relationship with Jesus. He is our light in the darkness. And the more we get to know him, his character, his capabilities, his power, the more fully we can rely on him. Our passage today is probably very familiar to most, if not all of us. We hear it read at least once most Christmases, and for a lot of us it probably triggers memories of carol services and Messiah renditions. When I was reading through these verses again, as I was beginning to prepare for this morning, I got to the part where it says, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And I had such an overwhelming bubbling up of worship, thankfulness and praise. Yes, this is who we worship. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And I had a clear sense that experiencing this Advent season with a better understanding of these names and with a greater knowledge of who it is we are celebrating this Christmas, his character, his purposes, and his power, will stand us in much better stead to rely on him to be our light in the darkness. He is saying to us this morning, know me to rely on me. And that phrase, know me to rely on me, reminds me of another similar phrase in my absolute favourite Christmas film of all time. It's a Tinson tradition to watch it every year on Christmas Eve and no matter how much money and star power the BBC throws at its Charles Dickens adaptations, they will never be as joyous as the Muppets Christmas Carol. We'll watch a clip now and as we watch it, let's keep in mind that as I was preparing this talk, I really felt that this is what the Lord wants to say to us. Come in and know me better, man. Brilliant. So that's our invitation this morning. Let's turn to God's word and come in and know him better. The overarching theme of the reports, oracles and prophecies in the book of Isaiah is the message of salvation. To give us a bit of context, our passage was written a few years before the whole northern kingdom of Israel was deported by the Assyrians in 722 BC. And at a time when Assyrian troops were devastating the northern kingdom and threatening the southern kingdom. At the same time, the kingdom of Judah was steeped in idolatry and evil practices. This was a time of rapidly changing international politics, bringing tension and insecurity and raising questions about the fulfilment of the promises of God to his chosen people and his plans for their salvation. 
The passage we're looking at today in Isaiah 9 brings the message of Emmanuel, the Messiah, first spoken of by Isaiah in chapter 7. Broadly speaking, chapters 1 to 6 draw Israel's attention to the problems in their nation and in their attitude towards God and introduce one of the central themes in Isaiah. The Israelites are God's chosen people, but instead of being faithful to him, they are sinful and rebellious. So how will they be God's light to the nations? The focus of chapters 7 to 12 shifts slightly, reminding Israel that they are the people of God and need to trust in him for their protection and not in politics. And in the climax of this section is our passage in chapter 9. The prophet shows Israel that in place of an unfaithful, short-sighted monarch whose human failings will lead the nation further into darkness, there will come an ideal monarch who, though he'll come as a child, will bring an end to all wars and whose kingdom will be just, righteous and eternal. Many of us have had the experience of depending fully on our own resources and perspectives for guidance, only to discover that this has led us into darkness. In verses 1 to 4, we see that God has given the prophet special insight into a time when people who have been groping around in the darkness will suddenly find themselves blinking in the light. For the remnant of Israel existing in the darkness, this is the shining light of the Messiah. God will manifest himself to the people and his light will shine among them in Jesus, the Messiah. Not when the people are spruced up, hair neatly brushed, clothes spotless and house in order, but at a time when they are living in the darkness of their self-dependence, sin and rebellion. For the Israelites then, and for each of us since, this child, the Messiah, is the ultimate expression of the truth that God is with us, not for our destruction, but for our redemption. And we can see from these first few verses that as a result, God's, uh, as a result of God's revelation of himself through his Messiah, the nation grows, the harvest thrives, the plunder is abundant. So these very everyday human fears of dwindling population, meagre resources, oppression are swept away by the arrival of the Messiah. And the response to these conquered fears is, of course, a wave of joy sweeping over the nation. And this joy is threefold. There is joy because the nations are liberated. There is joy because the victory is won. And there is joy because the child is born. And now we come to the verse that shouts out the titles of the coming Messiah like a triumphant call to worship. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. So, 
The first two of these titles display the character of the coming Messiah, and the second two point to the conditions he will bring about. Let's look at character first. Wonderful counsellor, mighty God. Throughout the Old Testament, this word wonderful mostly refers to astonishing acts of God which are beyond human understanding or accomplishment. We see it first in the Song of Moses in Exodus 15. Who is there like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? And many times in the Psalms, praising God for his miraculous acts in the lives of his people. This coming counsellor then will bring miraculous God-level wisdom and advice. And we see this, don't we, in the New Testament as Jesus shares his teaching as from the very mouth of God. To paraphrase one commentary, the wisdom displayed by a king will make, make or break a kingdom. And an everlasting kingdom needs wisdom like that of the everlasting God. In this case, like God, because he is God, the mighty God. The expected perfect king, the Messiah, is both human and divine. And he comes in the most human way possible, birth. But he is also fully divine. Throughout the book of Isaiah, we're reminded that God is strong and powerful enough to destroy his enemies in an instant. And here in verse six of chapter nine, that power and strength is used as a character displaying title for the coming Messiah. Mighty God. As John Oswald puts it, when the prophet comes to the heart of the means of deliverance, a childlike face peers out at us. God is strong enough to overcome his enemies by becoming vulnerable, transparent and humble. That is his character. Wonderful counsellor. Mighty God. The final two titles in our passage, Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace, describe the conditions the king's birth will bring. His reign will be eternal, constant continual, unending, and it will bring lasting peace, completeness, shalom. This isn't just the social stability of a human royal line passing from parent to child. This is the uninterrupted security of one king who reigns forever. This is everlasting fatherhood that will sacrifice itself for the sake of its children. And by doing so, we'll bring about ultimate peace, reconciliation between God and his people. To the Israelites, these four titles and the Messiah they reveal brought hope in a time of darkness and turmoil. For those who knew him during his time on earth, starting with Mary and ending with the thief on the cross, they spoke of Jesus, Rabbi healer, friend. And to those who came to know him after his resurrection, like Paul and the early church and like us today, these titles speak of Jesus Christ, risen saviour, the same yesterday and today and forever. Throughout scripture, 
throughout history, the wisdom, strength, faithfulness and peace of Jesus form the solid and unchanging foundation of life. And we need to know these truths about Jesus. We need to acknowledge that he is our solid and unchanging foundation. We may feel at the moment as if our lives are built on shifting sands with every day bringing more change and uncertainty. But this is exactly when we need to rely on the facts we know about who Jesus is. When I watch a scary film, which doesn't happen very often because they just don't float my boat, but if I do watch a scary film, I feel frightened. My emotions and brain chemicals are triggered in the same way as if I'm actually experiencing a scary situation. And even though the drama is contained within a rectangular gadget on a lounge wall and has been entirely made up by people in a studio, my feelings tell me it's terrifying and my brain tends to believe my feelings. I need to take a step back from the action and remind myself that the fear isn't real and that our own little house is safe and free from bad guys and that the floor under my feet is solid. And the same principle applies to our day-to-day -day lives. When the media floods us with bad news and worst case scenarios and dramatically presented angles, and when work becomes overwhelming and our to-do lists fill up 58 times faster than we can tick things off, or when work disappears or dries up completely, and when we live through days and weeks of feeling alone, or when our relationship with that particular person becomes so fraught and so complicated that it colours and shapes our feelings about our whole life. That's when we need to come in and know him better. We need to take a step back from the feelings of the day and refocus on the facts about our king and who he was yesterday and all the yesterdays, who he is today and who he will be tomorrow and every tomorrow. Because whatever our days look like at the moment, he is the wonderful counsellor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Whatever Christmas turns out like this strange year like no other, he is the wonderful counsellor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Whatever the new year brings each of us, he is the wonderful counsellor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And we know that this means he is wise, he is strong, he is faithful, and he is the ruler who brings peace. And he is totally, unfailingly reliable. During this time, as with every Christmas, and actually even when it's not Christmas, we need to make sure we don't get so used to this amazing story of God made flesh, this incredible incarnation of fully God and fully human, that we leave his story on the bookshelf or we bury the crib under a mountain of used wrapping paper or we spend so long planning and cooking the perfect roast dinner 
that we don't leave time to praise him. This Christmas will look and feel different from any other, so let's plan it differently from any other. How about this Christmas season, we all plan our Christmases around the King and use this time to learn more about him and know him more deeply by intentionally setting aside time to read our Bibles more, pray more, worship him more. Let's centre our Christmas on the Christ. The scene is set. The cattle are lowing. The shepherds are worshipping. Mary is treasuring their words in her heart. The baby Jesus, God incarnate, wonderful counsellor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, is swaddled in the manger. The stable is open and we are invited to come in and know him better. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for being our King. Thank you that you want us to know you so we can rely on you. Thank you for your word and what it teaches us about who you are. And as our time together this morning draws to a close and our daily lives rumble back into action, would you give each of us something, a word or an encouragement or a nudge to pop in our pocket and carry with us through the week? Would we each live our lives a little bit differently this week because of time we've spent in your presence this morning? Because you are the king and you deserve our time, our energy and our focus and our praise. And we do want to come in and know you better, Lord Jesus. Amen.